Hey everyone, it's Matt Anderson, and you're listening to the Proximity Process Podcast. This show, it's an invitation into a growing community. It's a conversation about how systems change actually starts with personal transformation. The change we want to see, it starts with us. So today's episode, I just wanted to have a conversation about community and the community that we're building around this podcast. So when we launched the the show back in 2023, I had this vision that we would use the podcast as a way to build community. But to be honest, I didn't know how we were going to actually build the community. What was that actually going to look like? And then episode one comes out and I get this call from a friend, somebody that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years, Dr. Kimberly Offit. And so Kim calls and she says, Matt, I just listened to episode one and you punched me in the gut. And my reaction was probably like, oh no, what did I, what did I do? What did I say? But she said, you know, it just, it stopped me in my tracks. And part of where she went with that is I need to be with people around the, the feelings that I'm having, not just the thoughts and the ideas, but what I'm feeling. And so in that conversation, we decided to do just that. Let's bring people together. Let's start to create community. That's what led to what has now become this proximity podcast club that meets every Monday morning. So we've we've been hosting this every Monday morning, and Kim has become my collaborator on this, has become my co-host, co-facilitator of the podcast club. And it's been great to build this together with her. And so I thought the best way to talk about community and community building around this podcast would just to be bring Kim onto the show and have a conversation about this origin story of how it, how the club started, but of course, also her process. So a little bit of Kim's background. So Kim's a child welfare leader, veteran. She's 25 years in. Um, she spent her first five years in child protective services, working with families at the front end of the system, you know, at risk of or having their kids removed. And we'll hear some about that. And then for the last 20 years, she's been at Bethany Christian Services, where she's been fostered an adoptive parent, recruiter, trainer, program developer. She's become an author, a speaker, an advocate, really a, a leader in her in her space. And 25 years in, she's in her process. And what we talk about in this conversation is her process around making what was invisible to her visible. And this is a theme that comes up in a lot of these conversations, a lot of the episodes that we get so focused on the work right in front of us, we miss the bigger picture of the injustices that are happening along the way. And that is what is becoming more and more visible to Kim. And that's where she is in her process. And so we, we talk about that. And then we come back at the end to the importance of community, of building community around the truth of what we see, the truth of what we feel, and the responsibility that we have. Community is a place where we can hold ourselves accountable and support one another in our process. And that's what we're trying to do with this podcast club. And you know, that's the kind of community that we're building around, around the show. So we kick off the conversation today with uh, that phone call that Kim made and what she was feeling as she's sitting on the edge of her bed listening to episode one. You know, Matt, as I listened to that very first podcast, I literally was sitting on the edge of my bed, staring at the wall, listening to you share and I was watching images of my journey go before my eyes at the same time. All the things that you talked about, it just took me in. And I took that time really thinking about things that I haven't thought about in years, in years. I started my career 25 years ago. So another thing that I thought about is how in 2020, really interestingly enough, when everyone was being told to put their mask on, I was taking this mask off. Oh, interesting. And in my work, I, I intentionally entered spaces where I was unmasked, where I was mm. myself, where I had an opportunity to really dig deep and 
and think about my why and think about who I am. And you helped me along on this journey. Okay. So that sparks my curiosity. So we'll come back to the unmasking Mm -hmm. in these spaces that you've been walking into. So I'm curious about that, but let's go back to the edge of your bed as you're listening to that episode. And you said that there were sort of like images of your past that were coming into your mind. So give me an example. I'm curious, what was an image that was coming up for you at that time? There was a comment you made about the parent experience was invisible. Um, not seen, not engaged. That took me back to being that caseworker who had this extreme justice streak, okay? Like, I didn't want to be a social worker, Matt. I didn't go to school for social work, but I had this huge justice streak where I just, I wanted to make the wrong things right. And so it took me back to being in the courtroom. It took me back to the times where now I can sit back and I can see what I didn't see before, you know, we, meaning the state, had a lawyer and the family over there sat over there alone or sat over there with someone court appointed, you know, sat over there without someone truly advocating for them. If I, as the caseworker, did not advocate for the children that I was serving and advocate for the families that I was walking alongside, there was no advocacy going down. And so the reality of that, you took me back there. Mm. You took me back to those spaces where you see you're working alongside young people who had experienced so many years in foster care and they were at risk of age and out of foster care. It reminded me of my why even in becoming a foster parent. Like you took me back to all of these different spaces. Yeah. One of, one of the things that we'll probably get into this at some point in the conversation, but I know one of the things that you and I have in common is two, two big things that we have in common. One, we've spent a lot of our career really focused on the experience of older youth in foster care, youth aging out of foster care. Mm -hmm. And how do we stop that from happening? How do we prevent kids from aging out? Because we know what what the the outcomes of that are, and it's not good. We share that in common. We also share in common recruiting foster and adoptive families. Mm -hmm. And I think probably what you're referring to of making the parent experience visible Mm -hmm. is because as at least my experience as somebody that was running a large foster care program that included a lot of foster parent recruitment, our client was the foster parent. Our client Mm -hmm. wasn't the child in foster care, and our client certainly wasn't their parent or their family. And I think when you sit in that spot, the parent experience does become quite invisible. And I, I wonder if that's if you can kind of relate to that experience from that recruitment background that you have. Absolutely. So even with that parent experience, and I know I'm probably getting ready to mix an answer and a both and here, but I'm thinking about when you were originally saying like contracting parenting classes, contracting therapy, you know, you have a non-compliant family. Like I remember all of those things where you had this cookie cutter case plan. And when I started with the Department of Family and Children's Services, It was like the school of what not to do because I saw everybody had the same plan and I I wanted to get away from that. But then when you flip and you're on this other end of foster care recruitment and adoption recruitment, the families who have gone through years of these cookie cutter case plans are no longer my client. My client is now that foster parent who is looking to adopt that child who has now, because the system has failed them. That's real. That's the reality. This system has failed their family. And now we're at this point where we're recruiting a quote unquote new family for them. This family who wants to increase their family, you know, want to add to their family, want to have a sibling for their child. This family is now my client. So my focus is different. I didn't even think, Think about the history of this child in care in this family. I was so determined to right a wrong. This child can't age out of foster care. I need to find someone to be there for him or her, not focused yeah. on their first family, their biological right. family. And the in the period in between the separation from their family. And the point where maybe you and I would start to come involved at, say, 15 years old, and they may have been separated at seven years old. So now here we are, eight years in between. 
That's a big part of what was invisible to me. I didn't see and understand the implications of that eight years in between and the separation itself. For my work to start, there had to be a series of injustices along the way where, you know, we didn't do what this child and this family actually needed. And then they got to this point where, okay, now we have to find this forever family for a 15 year old. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was making that visible to me mm-hmm. that I think was a big part of the shift of kind of how I see myself and how I see my work. You know, this as, as much as anybody and, and many people listening that the work in child welfare is, is crisis driven, right? We end up putting the fire out that's right in front of us. We never see the full scope and and what impact that's having on families and oftentimes for generations, right? And so it's it's this reflection process that is so necessary that we step back, yeah, and you know take a, a a fuller look at the implications of our work and who's being impacted and how. Mm-hmm. So you're you're sitting at the edge of your bed. <laughs> You're listening to this episode and these these memories and reflections are sort of flooding back, you know, these different things that you've worked on and families becoming invisible. And I wonder, as you're staring at that wall, like, what's the feeling? Mad. I was punched in the gut. I was punched in the throat. I couldn't breathe. I was shaking. 2023 has been a year where I've really been sitting in that space of just allowing myself to feel those things that I normally would try to box away because they're too painful. Sometimes it's painful to like face yourself and face the realities of the work that you're doing or how you're feeling about the work that you're doing or whatever. But in that moment, I sat there and I couldn't breathe. I couldn't breathe. When you shared your story about being at that conference with Corey and and Corey saying, when we stop celebrating foster care and adoption as a success, gut punch. The last 20 years of my entire career, I've celebrated foster care and adoption as a success. My entire advocacy has been for youth most at risk of aging out. It was a success for me to get them out of a residential facility and into a family. It was a success for that family to now commit to the lifelong journey of I'm your mom and dad forever. You know, that was a success for me to get kids out of residential facilities and the next day and we're tap dancing out of court. And so I'm all of these images are flooding to me and I'm like, what do I do with this? And I couldn't do anything but text you. And I'm like, nah, Matt. <laughs> and I'm sure I said it just like that. No, we we need to talk. I need to process. You can't do your listeners like this. Like, we need somewhere to go, man. I I don't drink or smoke, but I need one of them right now. This is, we, we need a place, a space to talk about this. And that, t- you know, tap dancing out of court, celebrating, you know, on some level, people see that as a definite success out of mm-hmm. a group home and into a forever family. But what in that moment were you seeing as not a success? And I guess just to conjure up an image, I'm wondering about that young person's parents and their extended family. What had to happen to them for that success to occur? Yeah. So to know his story is to know that he was in care since he was two. And I'm pausing there intentionally as if I was standing before an audience right now so you can really sit here and understand that he's 17 now, getting ready to turn 18, facing aging out of foster care. But through Operation Forever Family, we're able to identify a family to come alongside him and eventually commit to adopting him. But he was two years old. And to know his story without saying his name you would know that his parents and him, they were both deaf. And so the deaf, if you think about in the deaf community and him just not being able to communicate, this young boy, it took years before the state even figured out he couldn't hear. Hmm. Matt, he couldn't hear. So his behaviors and all of the frustration that he felt 
Instead of someone helping him, they medicated him. They restrained him. He was in all types of different placements because he couldn't. And and when we dug through his case file, we could see how so many people missed it for years. He's 17 now. There were so many failures in those 15, 16 years. And we're to blame for that. I represent the system that didn't see him. Yeah. They didn't see his family. That's right. That's what I struggled with. Yes, it was a success that he has a family now that he can come home to for Christmas and the holidays. And when he gets married, he has a mom and a dad that's going to be there with him. But he's always had a mom and a dad. Right. He's always had siblings and extended family members. But now the system has separated him from forever. Yeah. So you you mentioned a, a minute ago the f- the phone call that you made to me as you're feeling this gut punch and we we talked about being in community. This is it, right? Like being in community with the truth is part of what this is about. Mm-hmm. And being able to be in community with the the truth of what had to happen to that young man, right? That it's 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 just way too easy to look at the end result of an adoption and say this is success and move on. But the 15 years in between and all that was made invisible, the loss and the pain, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, we have to be in community around the truth. And so, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. So you're feeling all of this. It was a Thursday. The episode came out Wednesday. You called me on Thursday and said, I need to be in community. I need to be with people. I need to talk about what I'm feeling and experiencing with a group of people. And so just you know, take me to that moment. What 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 was it that you needed, do you think? So initially, Matt, I really thought I was just going to have a conversation with you and I could just say, hey, Matt, we need to pull some people together. And I just imagined like one or two of us like mm-hmm. getting together yeah. and just talking about this process and what we're feeling about it. But of course, you were like, hey, let's just put it out there and let's just see you know, if anyone would come and join us, if one more person comes, then it's a success, right? But I just felt like I needed to be able to get it out. I needed to be able to talk. I needed to be able to listen to others as well. Because, and I remember saying this to you, if I'm feeling this way, I'm sure other listeners are as well. Yeah, there's, so you called on, on Thursday, we said, let's let's just put it out to some folks and see who wants to join us. And that next Friday morning, the next day, I don't know. We had a lot, I forget, 10 people, 15 people. No, we had almost 12? 20 people. 20 people. Yeah. So I think that surprised us both a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think it was too like, oh, wow. Okay. So maybe it's not just Kim. Maybe it's not just Matt mm-hmm. that needs to be in community because, you know, part of my intention for this podcast was a couple things. One, I wanted every episode to be an invitation into the conversation that happened for you. Mm-hmm. And the other intention is to be about community and community building. And while I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, that phone call from you, well, I put out an episode recently, when the future comes knocking, answer the door. Your phone call to me was the future knocking, saying this is a way to build community. People are looking for this space to show up and tell their truth and to witness other people tell their truth. And it's the opportunity to just be in relationship with people around all of that. And so I think that's what we've kind of been creating. I don't, I don't know if you remember that first conversation that we had that Friday with that, that group of people, but I, I wonder what, if you take me to that moment, what was that all about? I do remember that first Friday and I remember thinking, oh crap, <laughs> we're on to something. We're getting ready to shake up some stuff because people came so vulnerably. I've said before about 2020 being that time where I've just been taking my mask off instead of putting a mask on. And I felt like I entered this space where everyone felt safe to do just that. Their titles went by the wayside. Mm. Their experience went by the wayside. Now, mind you, we brought our experience and our titles to the table, but it didn't matter. We were so naked and so vulnerable and so free to share what we probably wouldn't share with our supervisors or our peers at work or the people who we lead or 
I don't know. I think the only person I could think of that I've ever been this intimate with is my spouse. Like he knows my heart, but I'm in this space where I'm sharing it. I mean, we've created truly a family, a little community. It's been a safe space to take your mask off, to not have to put this face on. And it's just, it's just been liberating. It's just been freeing. It's been draining. I wanted to cry. I have cried several times. Mm-hmm. I've been challenged. I've been stretched. I've thought about, oh my God, I never thought about that it that way. Like it's just been a beautifully painful experience to have this podcast yeah. club. Yeah. I yeah, I I agree. And I think that well, so we did that first call and then we decided to move to just do it every week. And so there's a, a group of us that start every Monday morning at nine o'clock having this this conversation where we can talk about the last episode, but you know, we we go into a lot of different kind of conversations. And I wonder, you kind of touched on this, but I wonder what else you might say about like what is bringing people to this space, do you think? What value are we creating for people or or you know, what kind of community are we building that may just does it not exist somewhere else? You know, Matt, when I think about what brings me every Monday morning at nine o'clock, and you know I don't like talking to people between eight and ten, but I still show up Monday morning at nine o'clock, is yeah. this meeting is so very different from every other meeting that's on my calendar. This is a space for us to pause and reflect and think about who we are and what we're doing and what we're bringing to the tables. It's a time for us. It's almost like self-care for all of us social workers out here. You know, community is so important. But if you haven't experienced it yet, once you're here, you don't want to leave. It's like this is so needed. It's so necessary because it sets the tone for the rest of the week. And what I found to be interesting is I've taken this and I'm, I'm trying to recreate it in these other spaces that I'm in, where I'm asking the tough questions, where I'm asking the why, where I want to pause and reflect on what it is we're doing right now, where I want to shift up the agenda. You know, let's talk about some real stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm taking that to other meetings that I'm in as well. I think the very first podcast you said, you know, systems don't change, people do. This podcast itself has been an opportunity for us to change and for us to even focus on the change that's happening as well and take that into other spaces that we're in. Yeah, it I mean, so we're recording this on a Monday afternoon. And so we we had our our club this morning. And one of the things that came up from somebody is that sort of reflection around after a career for this person of doing a lot of systems change work, that maybe that's not the most important thing that this isn't about looking outward at what structures of the system we can change. That's important and it has its place. But what if we looked inward and what if we said that this is about us? And I think that's one of the things that I think has been really valuable about the kind of community that you and I've been building together is that, you know, sure. The conversation often is looking outward at, at things that are happening in the system and the injustices that we can see but I think, you know, we try to pull it back to, okay, but what about us? Mm-hmm. Right? Like how like accountability. A system is is just a reflection of us anyway, right? It's it's an organization is just a collection of people. Its culture is based on the values that that group of people has. So it all comes back to us. Absolutely. And I, I wonder, are there other ways that you've experienced that over the last couple months? When you started talking about the system being, it's about us. It's, it's true because we are, <laughs> we are the system and we have to take accountability for the work that we're doing. Whether this system is incredible and it's serving families and it's supporting children and it's bringing families together or this system is separating families and causing further harm and traumatizing each other and everyone else involved. We have to look at ourselves. And when I, I heard you say this for the first time, it, it made me go back because I started asking my questions about my why. Why are you doing the work you're doing? What's your story, Kim? What's your why? What are your own traumas, your own life experiences? What lens are you looking through? 
Yeah, so let's go there a little bit. We, we'll circle back to community building and what we're working on together. But yeah, you know, so the other thing, Kim's process. This is the Proximity Process podcast after all. So, you know, what is what is Kim's process? So, uh, you know, a couple things that I know, you know, you've you've been in child welfare for a long time. You, among other things, have focused a lot on recruiting foster and adoptive families. And you you shared with me that a few years ago, there was this shift that started to happen from this focus on finding forever families. And that's some of what we've talked about already, you know, the older youth in foster care and how do we find forever families, adoptive families, so they don't age out. So the shift from finding forever families to a shift to kids in foster care already have a family. And how do we see the family that they already have? And how do we value that? I wonder when or how that shift started to happen. Like if you could take me back a few years. Yeah, this process, Matt, it has been a long process for me. And it's been a it's been times where I've buried my head in the sand and I've lifted my head up out of the sand, buried again, lift it back up. I mean, that's the best way for me to describe it because it's not always easy to really see how this system has impacted families when your heart, meaning my heart, has always been to challenge the injustices, to right wrongs, to to help. I just I just wanted to help. When I think about my journey and I think about why child welfare, I feel like I I saw the children, I saw the families. That that 90 days of um, an internship with the Department of Family and Children's Services taught me what not to do because I saw families as just case numbers. I saw caseworkers come into court and they hadn't prepared ahead of time. I was the intern, so I could I knew I watched them. And I, I saw judges agree to whatever this caseworker was saying. They were making decisions on a whim. And I saw lawyers just walk alongside with whatever the state was saying. It was not right and it was not okay. So my intention was to challenge the injustices. Every case that I had, literally, those families had been either generationally involved with CPS and foster care or substance abuse or some type of neglect, which was tied to poverty. Every one of those cases. So I'm looking at cases of children who've been separated from their families for years. And here I am, this brand new caseworker trying to make a difference. I tap dance out of court several times, returning <laughs> children to their mom after 10 years, Matt. Wow. Okay. People change. That's one of the reflections that I have. Our system is set up where we judge how quickly someone can make changes in their lives and we don't see humanity. Right. 10 years later, the mom who was a substance abuser is no longer. She has her whole life together. Yeah, it's really interesting where you were going with that because I think a couple things. One, what is this process about? A lot of things, of course. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's a a great conversation because the process is expansive, right? But I think one of the parts of the process is that the shift that you were just describing from judgment and punishment, that's a human experience, mm-hmm. right? We have a tendency to judge and punish other people. And in this country, judgment and punishment has become racialized and based on class. And so we judge and we punish other people And I think the process is to come back to what you were just getting at, which is humanity. Exactly. Right? How do we believe in people? How do we recognize and and know that we're all one, that we're all connected? That's what you were doing as that young, eager social worker saying, I'm not going to be this vision. I'm going to be somebody that believes in people and stands with families and celebrates this mom having her kids come back home. And I have to ask him... Because here we are now, 20, 25 years later, where you're in your process of, shoot, why am I doing this work? And I wonder, did you lose, like, I don't mean this to be like a challenging question, but I'm curious, like, do you think you lost your way 
at some point? Did you get disconnected from that younger version of yourself that said, I'm going to stand with this mom and celebrate her success of having her kids, right? To that now, you know, celebrating the adoption, which is the 15 years removed of we never really saw mom again. Yeah, that's a really great question, Matt. And it's one that I've been focusing on myself. Did I lose that initial zeal and that compassion and that humanity where I, I see my families and I, I'm here to challenge any injustices and I want to walk alongside them. Like when I think about my journey, my advocacy, it I don't feel like I lost it. I feel like it it zoomed in in a different way. Like my passion now was injustices have been done to this child for all of these years. They've been in foster care. For so many years, they don't have a family. They're in these residential facilities where every eight hours a staff person is changing. Staff can't even hug you. You get a 15-minute phone call a day. Who do you call? And what does that sound like? Lights off at nine o'clock, lights on at whatever time, meal times is this time. You can go to the bathroom only when whatever, and doors are locked. My justice, my zeal, my hmm. passion has been this is wrong. Right. They need to be in family. I don't feel like I lost it. Yeah. You know, the focus was a little different. And you pointed the the you you pointed your focus on justice in a in a, in different, a different direction. Way. Yeah. No, I get that. <clears throat> I get it. And you know what we said at the very beginning here that we share some things in common. And one of them is that we both spent time working with teenagers who were going to age out of foster care. Mm-hmm. And Man, it just, I mean, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm pausing right because I'm just like flooded, like like goosebumps and emotions of just remembering uh, sitting with a 17-year-old who in six months is going to age out. The injustice of that, but also the fear and the uncertainty that a 17-year-old has about what in the world is about to happen to me when I turn 18. Where am I going to go? Where do I belong? Who- like fundamentally, who am I? I mean, these are like, it's painful. It's really, really painful. And so to have that sort of like bone of like social justice in you that you have, Kim, um, to say, this is not okay. And I'm going to fight for this. This is the episode that, that we did with Sherry Williams. We talked just really briefly about the both and, right? The both and of these 17 year olds, 15 year olds, 60 are in foster care now. What are we going to do? It's not okay that they just age out, you know, and I, I believe in, in family and I, and I stand for parents and, and I don't want kids in foster care to begin with. This is the both and that Sherry was talking about that was interesting because it was picked up in the podcast club conversation. And that, even though it was like 30 seconds of the podcast episode, it became like 40 minutes of the podcast club conversation of this both and of like, can you be both for justice for the 17 year old? and for integrity of family and believing in keeping families together. It's a real challenge that people feel, I think, every day in their work. It's the it's the values fatigue that I felt. I, mm-hmm. I was living the both and, and I couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I just, there's so many thoughts that come to my mind when I think about the both and, because it's so real. How do we stop? How do we just pause children entering the foster care system today? Yeah. Like, no more kids can come into this system. Let's focus on their families. I love like in the work that I do, my both end is I partner with incredible organizations or or programs like Care Portal. Care Portal helps build these partnerships with churches where all of these community members in these churches can get real time needs. Like caseworkers can say, I have a mom who needs her light bill paid. She doesn't have running water. She doesn't have beds. Or there's this real-time need. If you help, it'll keep these kids from entering the foster care system. So being able to champion that, being able to go out to the churches and say, hey, keep kids out of foster care. Support moms. Walk alongside these moms. They need your support. And this was another one of those things, Matt. How I saw myself championing the needs of foster parents. When a foster parent took in a sibling group of three, what did they need? They needed help with transportation. They needed help with schooling. They needed mentorship. They needed food. They need meals. They needed beds. They needed clothes. They need all these things. Why couldn't we do the very same thing for the mom? 
Why couldn't we do the very same thing for these children's mother? Why? So let's talk about that. Why Why can't we? We can, but our system yeah. is not fundamentally set up to do exactly that. Very few children are in care because they have been physically harmed. But that is not the story that we've told ourselves. We've told ourselves their family, they're the perpetrator of harm. Right. Yeah, that's that's the prevailing narrative, yep. right? That's That's what we all believe as a society that parents are doing harm to their children. And, and the, the counter narrative to that is that parents love their children and children do best when they're with their families. And the, the data you know, shows us this, but we are intervening in the lives of families that are living in poverty. And we're intervening in the lives of families who are black. We're not intervening in the same ways in families that are white, that are wealthy, where there might still actually be abuse happening, right? So this idea of child safety being something that that we're actually really affecting, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the things that was invisible to me forever that is now becoming visible that, man, are, are we actually keeping kids safe on the whole across the entire population? I think that's, that's in question. Um, Let's just say that we had a mechanism where we know, right? There are there are situations where children are being harmed and we need a mechanism to keep them safe. Let's just say we had that operating. And then we did stop all the other kids from coming into foster care, as you were suggesting. Like, what if we could? Like, I, I think we can. I don't know if we can do it in the next year or two years or 10 years or how long it'll take, but I think that's the conversation that we need to be having, that this is about us. What if we actually believed that that was a better route to invest in parents than to separate kids from them? And what if we believed that it was better to unlock the billions and billions of dollars that get invested into our foster care system to be invested into communities and into families? What if we believed that was better for us as a society? Where would that take us? And so I don't know where you go with that line of questions, Kim, but that's that's what you're making me me think. I think it's the right conversation. Yeah. I remember there was a group that I met with. It had to have been before 2020. And they asked us if we had an opportunity to create the 51st state and just recreate this system, what would it look like? Hmm. And that's exactly where you're going. Like having the opportunity to let's not take kids into care. Let's put our funding towards supporting their families, resolving any of those issues that could cause family separation. Right. I I wonder then, so the, the, the process looking forward for both of us looking forward. So this, this idea of the 51st state, mm-hmm. I think is an interesting sort of way to think about this, right? So I'm curious where you are in your process and and what you're looking at. You know, the who am I becoming question that has appeared on this in these conversations a lot. Who am I becoming? This 51st state idea is like, so what if we were to imagine a world in which families were not separated? For those of us that are in the child welfare system, thinking about how to do systems reform work, and, and what if we just backed up a little bit and said, maybe it's not about reforming the system. What if it's about this 51st state? What if it's about imagining and creating a world where we didn't have foster care, yeah. where we actually invested in people? Where you're going is kind of some of the some of the process that I've been going through right now in trying to imagine a world or a system that I could be proud of, a system that I could unashamedly say, yes, I represent this because I know children are being cared for, families are being seen, workers and judges and lawyers and everybody that would be involved, their heads are right, their mission is clear, their focus is on family, like truly a system that if something, God forbid, ever happened to me and my family could not care for my children. And if my children ended up in this system, I could still sleep at night because I knew that they were okay. So for me, it has been the inside, working from the inside. Yeah. Because if we could somehow from the inside out, again, systems don't change until people change. For us to reflect, for us to think about 
What can we personally do? I also think about too, Kim. So like, what if it wasn't even about imagining a system that we could be proud of? What if it was imagining a world where we didn't need a system at all? At all. Right? So like to make that even more practical, you know, thinking about, you know, what if we were imagining and creating a more just world? And just economic justice as one example of that. What if what if we had affordable housing? Yeah. Kids are removed all the time because their parents don't have suitable housing. What if we had living wages or guaranteed incomes? What if we had childcare that was widely available? <clears throat> what if we had healthcare that was affordable? You know, then it becomes this isn't even about the child welfare system, which is kind of when I think about my process as I go forward. It becomes less and less about the child welfare system and imagining either an improvement to it or a new system, but imagining a world where we didn't need the system and we advanced some of these other ideas that are then just about everybody having access and opportunity. Yeah, imagining a world where there is no generational trauma. Imagine a world where there was no substance abuse issues, where we didn't look to these things to fulfill a need because we had everything that we actually needed. You know, imagine in a world where they're just, oh gosh, Matt, mm-hmm. will we see that in our lifetime? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. But is that, is that the question or do we just, do we just say our, our, our focus is on that vision? We want to be part of continuing to create that world because, you know, people say it all the time that the arc of history bends towards justice. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably true, but you have to fight for it. Yeah. And so, you know, if we continue to fight for justice, that's a worthy pursuit. Back to your, your like, what is the why? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the why is is to be in pursuit of justice. At least that's sort of where my process is is taking me. That's where I'm going. And, you know, then it it it, it bigger perhaps more challenging, but but less limited to what kind of system can we create or improve. Yeah. And that 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 feels important. Let's let's come back to the the community, the community that we've been building in general. And as you think about going forward with the community that you and I have been creating, I wonder what's on your mind and, and maybe specifically I wonder about community as belonging. How do we continue to create a community where people can come as they are, where people can show up in their truth, you know, where accountability is part of the community. You know, I think it's so beautiful, the space that has already been created and the OGs that we have in the group already, because those who have joined from day one, they're sharing, they're vulnerable, they're pushing back, they're asking the hard questions, they're dropping the deep reflections And that in itself, when new people join, like we had a few new people today. And what did that do? That immediately gave them the permission to do the same, to share, to reflect, to look at themselves. And I just see it continuing to grow, Matt. Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting. You know, there there are some folks that come regularly that are at the end of their career Mm -hmm. or towards the end of their career. Mm -hmm. And they're going through their own process this late. In their career, it's really amazing. Then you have some really young people that are right at the beginning of their career, very early in their career. Mm-hmm. And it's a space where everybody gets to learn and grow together. And that's been really cool to see. And how beautiful is it for those who are at the beginning of their career to be in a space like this with those of us who are sitting back saying, oh, man. Look at what I've seen, how I've experienced. What could I do differently? How should I move forward? What should I do with these latter years? And and they're able to, at the beginning of their career, see this and experience it. Oh, they're going to be amazing in the work that they're doing because they've been given this space to dream and imagine. And they don't have to go with the status quo. They can challenge what looks like policy and procedure, but no one has ever said, why do we do it that way? And is this really okay? Yeah, the, the curiosity, right? For us to to stay curious, but to also, as as you said a couple times, to be able to to speak your truth. And so I wonder about that too as as we wind down here, but just 
we we say it in clubs sometimes. It's not about the coming to. It's about the going from. Mm-hmm. I wonder as you think about that for yourself these last couple months, what has the going from been like for you? You know, one thing that I've learned, Matt, is I can't have 10 o'clock calls on Monday morning because most of the time I leave in a very open space, a very emotional space. Sometimes um, a couple of the other members that join, we just had the sidebar conversation just to reflect on what we talked about in the podcast club. I've learned that times like this and spaces like this changes you in a way that you can't just keep going on with your day and your meetings and your work as is. Like it causes you to question and challenge everything. It causes you to ask why. It causes me to look at my goals for 2024 differently than I did in 2023. What is it that my program or my the work that I want to do What are my goals? What are my intentions? And why is this a goal? How do I want to change? How do I want to grow? It's making me ask a whole lot of questions of myself. And one of my greatest prayers has been, Lord, if if you give me 20 more years in child welfare, I want to be a change agent, whether I do that internally or externally. But as long as I'm in, I have to stay in and stay true to who I see myself becoming. And I can't keep being silent. I can't keep my head down. I have to keep my head up. I have to continue to advocate. I have to keep asking why. I have to keep pushing, even if that's risky. So, yeah, that's the moving forward for me. Yeah. Head up, making what's invisible visible. Yeah. And and, and speaking the truth of what you see. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's the process. It's part of it the beginning of it right Mm -hmm. and then what do i need to take account of Mm -hmm. where am i contributing to harm what kind of action do i need to take how do i hold myself responsible Mm -hmm. so well let me say this as we leave the conversation about community and community building i just want to say thank you to you for calling me that thursday (laughs) (laughs) And saying, Matt, you punched me in the gut and I need to talk and I need to talk to people. Like I said earlier, that was the future knocking. Mm -hmm. And I answered that door. And together we've been creating something that has meant a lot to me. I know it's meant a lot to you. I know it's meant a lot to the people that that are part of this community that we're building. And so, yeah, we just keep keep going forward. We just keep showing up. I think that's what somebody said this morning. Just keep showing up for ourselves, for each other. Mm -hmm. And so thank you. Um, thank you for that. Thank you, Matt. So the the, the ending point here, proximity. Mm. What does proximity mean to you? You know, that question has plagued me. I'm going to say it that way, because I feel like every time I listen to you and I listen to others who have come on the podcast and answer that question, my answer has morphed. You know, I used to feel like being in proximity is just the walking alongside and the support and intentionally investing and in, in putting myself in these spaces. But then I also feel like sometimes, I think you even said that on one of the podcasts, that's not enough. So right now for me, it is keeping my eyes open, making sure the things that have gone unseen and unspoken is seen and given voice to. It is being in community, being in family, being in relationship with those who we may not have the same life experiences, but we are the same in that I see your humanity, you see mine. And there's something that we both can learn from each other. And so that is proximity for me. That is that relationship, that building, that connectedness that we need as individuals and just community period. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's beautiful. I mean, keeping your head up, keeping your eyes open and seeing our shared humanity. Mm-hmm. So the last question is advice. What advice do you have for me? Matt, don't stop what you're doing. Just keep it up. 
that that's the biggest I, I don't I can't think of any other advice that I could give you because you're already you're on this path. And I feel like there have been times where anytime we're doing something amazing and just incredible and, and it could potentially be transformational in that it's going to change the lives of people and individuals and families forever. There's always going to be that contention that's going to come. There's going to be those distractions. There's going to be something that's going to try to just pull the rug out from under your foot. You know, just don't allow that to happen. Just stick with us, keep journeying with us and keep creating these spaces for us to grow and journey with you. This has just been an incredible space for me. And I just want us to keep it going. I don't know how we're going to keep it going every week, (laughs) but I'm praying that we're able to (laughs) every week. It's crossed my mind. (laughs) I I know. Like how, like, how do we do this? Yeah, I know. We're going to need some uh, proximity podcast club ambassadors. So yeah, we we should brainstorm that because I'm telling you, there's some really cool potential hosts. Yes. That are on this call. Yes. No, I think it's, I think it's real. I mean, I had a, um, a message, I don't know, maybe it was on Facebook or LinkedIn about the, the 9am Eastern call. What about the West coast? And and that's, that's a challenge. And then somebody said, what about Australia? Mm. Um, you know, we have a fair amount of downloads of the podcast in Australia. So people are listening there too. There's, there's a community there of, of very like-minded folks that are with us on this. And so I, my reply to that person, who's probably asleep right now, I don't know what time it is in Australia, but maybe you should host a community around the show in Australia. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe those, those things are on our horizon. Yeah. I definitely see this growing and morphing into places that maybe we haven't even thought of yet. And so I'm excited about what 2024 is going to bring for all of us, Matt. I'm really looking forward to seeing how this grows. Yeah, likewise. Well, thanks for your friendship. It's been Ditto. It's been a joy. Ditto. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to say a special thank you to Kim for being a friend and a collaborator and for coming on the the show today. Of course, if you want to join the Proximity Podcast Club, you can do so. We meet every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. The show notes, find my LinkedIn page and message me and we'll we'll get you the invite and you are welcome to join the club. And lastly, of course, a special thanks to Michael Tex Osborne at 14th Street Studios, Evan Scherer for production support, and Christian Hygis for original music. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you on the next one.